good to sing, isn't it? Sometimes, even if you're just going through a difficult time, just hearing the saints sing is just encouraging, isn't it? It just sets your mind right. Perhaps you've been dwelling on something. Maybe you're discouraged. But it just sets your mind right to hear the saints sing. Because this is what we ought to be doing with our lives, is giving praise to Christ. Well, um... Rina, do you want to introduce Trey for us? Everybody, this is Trey, Sarah's boyfriend. Nice to meet you, Trey. Nice to meet you guys. Now, Trey said you're from South Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina. Glad to have you. All right. I think that's all our visitors. Now you're all the normal people. Regular folks. All right. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I was telling um, some of the guys that this was a harder sermon for me to prepare, um, just because it's a long section. We're going to be talking about, um, I think it's all one unit, one sermonic unit, is it? verses 11 to 22. And I entitled this sermon, Bridging, Bridging Cultural Divides. Bridging Cultural Divides. I don't think it's a topic that's spoken about in Scripture, or actually, actually I don't think it's a topic that's spoken about a lot in churches. But it is in Scripture, and it's very clear. Okay, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say some names, okay? Don't get mad. Don't get upset. I don't want you guys to have a riot or anything like that. Emmett Till. Selma. Rosa Parks. Ku Klux Klan. Oh, man. The Ku Klux Klan came out loud. That was weird. Why was that? Right. Ku Klux Klan, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, University of Mississippi, Ferguson, Michael Brown, George Zimmerman, Black Lives Matter, illegal immigration, amnesty for illegal am immigration, Arizona, Donald Trump's wall. Beyonce during the Super Bowl. Syrian refugees. ISIS. Kurds. Radical Islam. Israel. Palestine. Gaza Strip. Boko Haram. Kidnapped Nigerian girls. North Korea. China. Russia, these names, even you just hear it, you could already sense there's a heated discussion going to come out. Go ahead and write your opinion on Facebook, and all of a sudden, everybody has a comment. See, the world has its fights, and it is often, very often based around cultural identities. And what, the reason why I say cultural identities, because it isn't always race, or it isn't always religion. There are certain markers of a culture, of a people, that people start to pick on or they differentiate themselves with. Since the fall, man has been fighting man based on cultural differences such as race, tribe, economic status, birthright, language, ideologies, and geographic region, just to name a few. Now, though the world may fight and bicker over these issues, some just, some unjust, 
The church should not be marked this way. It brings Christ great dishonor. It robs him of his glory when you allow cultural distinctions disintegrate the church's unity in him. Martin Luther King said this, we must face the sad fact that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, when we stand to sing in Christ, there is no east or west, we stand in the most segregated hour of America. Sadly, that's true. Well, how are we to do this? Is unity within diversity something that God even cares about? Is this just an affirmative action thing? Or is this a God thing? Is this something that we should be holding up? Is this what the Bible says? Some questions such as, why can't we just reach our own tribe? Why do we need to bother with other tribes? That way we're more focused. Now, that sounds noble, doesn't it? Sounds noble. But it's just not what Christ desires. Now, you read with me this text, okay? The one that Mike read. Let's read it together slowly, okay? Verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember, now you remember what he just talked about. In Ephesians chapter 2, he talked about sin And he talked about how Christ rescued us. He rescued us by his blood. Remember this. Through the cross. And see, we are very good as Christians to talk about what the cross work does. It saves us. It changes us. It changes our lives. We are are now uh, saved and we walk with him. We're children of God. But now in verse 11, there is an implication here. He's saying now, because of the cross work of Christ, there should not be distinction in the sense of boundaries that divide within the local church. It's sinful. It divides. It robs Christ of his glory. Notice he says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, By the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he, for he himself, is our peace, who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Did you catch that? By the cross having put to death the enmity, our enmity with God and enmity with each other. And this is the reason why you could look across across the uh, audience here, and if they are a brother in Christ, and you are a brother in Christ, and you are saved, you can say, this is my brother. It doesn't matter what background I came from. It doesn't matter what race I am. It doesn't matter what economic status I am. You are a brother 
Because why? The cross eradicated that. The enmity, the anger, the frustration. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole body being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Why did God give this passage? Why did he include it in the text? Well, I believe here, this is our point, that God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would intentionally, I'm phrasing this very carefully, so that you would intentionally overcome cultural barriers threatening to divide the body of Christ. Okay? This is what the intent of the text is. So that you would intentionally overcome cultural barriers threatening to divide the body of Christ. When a church desires to honor Christ and learns to live in harmony despite cultural distinctions, it magnifies his worth to a world that only knows fighting and bickering. Now follow me, okay? If we are a people that is largely homogenous, what is the word I'm trying to say? <laughs> homogenous. What am I trying to say? Homogenous, right? Sorry, I need another cup of coffee. If we are a people that is just largely homogenous, then what does that do for the gospel? Not very much. Why? Because it only shows that natural groupings together of people of like economic, like backgrounds, like race, show simply that that's their God. Okay? But when they see a people... A church, and this is what it's talking about here. That's why Paul is uh, addressing it. When they see a people who have absolutely nothing in common, who would never be together except for the glory of Christ, the world stands back and says, what is that? I remember our church back home at uh, CPC in Vallejo. Uh, the um, very, very multicultural church. They asked Steve, who was our pastor before he went to be with the Lord, they asked him, what makes your church multicultural? Do you have any, did you do any demographic studies? Did you pursue different strategies? And he says, no, we just stress what we have in common. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to bring Christ's glory in the church, you must answer these three probing questions in the negative. The only right response to each of these questions is, I cannot. I cannot. And this is the biblical basis of the eradication of borders between us because of culture. Okay? Number one, here's the question. Okay? How can you exclude others knowing your own sad past? How can you 
exclude others knowing your own sad past. Look at verses 11 and 12. Now, I specifically use the term exclude. This kind of sin in the church, the kind of sin that divides because, oh, they're Caucasian, they're white, they're Filipino, they're Mexican, they're black, they're Vietnamese, they're rich, they're poor. I don't want to be with them. Okay, That kind of sin that hurts fellowship, that divides the body of Christ, that uh, limits the gospel, that kind of sin in, in California is on the down low. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of secretive. This kind of sin in the church is more insidious. Divisions in the body of Christ rooted in cultural barriers such as race, economic standing, family status, professional status, are nowadays mostly hidden. Instead of blatant rejection of others within the body, there is just this simply this silent withdrawal. I just, no, I just don't want to hang out with them. No. This group of people here that are kind of like me, more like me, more homogenous like me, I have more in common. That's the kind of group I want to be with, but not those other people. I'll just kind of silently withdraw. There's a withdrawal of invitation, a withdrawal of welcome, a withdrawal of fellowship. You just nicely exclude folks from your life because it isn't the kind of cultural norm you particularly like. Am I getting too near the kitchen? Are you guys okay? Are you guys okay? You create a secret division in the very family of God. This is the reason why I say exclude. That's why I use that word exclude. Now notice. You cannot, you cannot exclude others in the body of Christ. Why? Because before you had no status before men. You yourself had no status before men. When you exclude others, you're doing exactly what God did not do with you. The opposite. Notice, he says, he talks about circumcision and uncircumcision, and we look at that and we think, what is this, right? What does this, what does this have to do with me here? Well, circumcision was a physical sign and a distinction that you were a Jew. And so what Paul is talking about, he's talking to these Gentile believers who have come into the church, and the Jews... Some of them are freaking out. They're saying, I don't know if we should accept them. Some of them are saying, well, you know what? If they really want to be part of us, they got to be circumcised. Or they got to follow our holidays. And they got to do this and got to do this. I don't know. And then what has started to happen in the church? Just, they would have the church potluck. And the Gentiles would go on one side. And the Jews would go on another side. The Jews would make fun of the Gentiles' food. And the Gentiles would make fun of the Jews' food. The Gentiles wanted to eat meat sacrificed to idols. The Jews would never do that. The Jews, uh, the Gentiles wanted to eat bacon. The Jews would not want to eat bacon. And so that there started to become this divide. And pretty incidentally, did you know that most of the fights in the New Testament are about food? <laughs> That's another Bible study. But really, really, okay, are you following me? 
Now, this circumcision here was a physical sign and a distinction that you were a Jew, a member of the people of God. Uncircumcision, notice he says here, you were, you were formerly you, Gentiles of the fish, were called uncircumcision. Now, uncircumcision was a term of insult, meaning one who has no relationship with God. There was no marker for you. It was the covenant sign that you were one of the members of the people of God. David referred to Goliath. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine as an insult. With no sign, Jews looked on Gentiles with disdain and saw them as inferior. And the Gentiles looked at them and saw them as inferior. You think that some churches have problems? Look at that kind of problem in the church. While Jews were supposed to be a light to the nations, instead they took their position of superiority and they prided themselves on it and they stopped being a conduit of blessing for others. One commentator said this. This is uh, just to give you a little picture of the disdain. Okay? When a Jew entered Palestine, he would shake the dust off his sandals in order not to contaminate the Holy Land. This was during New Testament times. If a young Jew married a Gentile, they would have a funeral service for him or her. They would be considered as dead to me. You understand? You're dead to me. Gentiles hated them in retaliation, right? So the Gentiles had no status before men. They had no status before God. Notice, they were separate from Christ. No hope of Christ. Christ means Messiah. They had no one who would save them, no one who would redeem them, no one who would rescue them, no future, no glorious destiny. They were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They were not included in God's nation. They, did have, they had no holy community, no kingdom. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. And here we got to look because in order for us to understand what is this covenant of promise, the root of all the covenants is in Genesis chapter 12. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And you will see what God promised and the failure of Israel to be a blessing okay, until the Messiah came. Notice he says here, this is the covenant that God gives with uh, Abraham. And he says in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. And here it is. To the land which I will show you. The first element is land. Okay, And I will make you a great nation. Okay, The second element is seed. Okay, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Third element is blessing. Okay, And I will bless and curse those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And you all the families of the earth will be blessed and seed blessing land seed blessing and notice he says here in verse 3 and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed so what is happening here there is a promise that is given to the israelites the promise is that they would be blessed with land with seed and with a blessing. And what happened is, instead of being a blessing to other families, they stopped the blessing short. He said, well, we are the people of God. Let's just keep that to us. That's them. 
this is us. Okay. Now you go back, and this is what Paul is saying in um, in Ephesians chapter two. Go back to Ephesians chapter two. He says here. Remember that you are at, the time, at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. And then it says strangers to the covenant of promise. And what he says here is you had no uh, tie to this covenant. The Israelites locked it up and you had no tie. You had no promise. You had no land, no seed, no blessing. Then it says having no hope or without God in the world. Hope needs a promise to cling to. There was no promise for them. The promise was not made known to you, so you had no hope. And then it says, without God in the world, you did not have the one true God. Even today, many people say they believe in God. But when you talk about Christ, it reveals that the God that they worship is really a God of their own imagination. Now, as you dwell, just think, think on this with me, okay? As you dwell on this point, when you contemplate your Christless past, your hopeless past apart from Jesus, okay, with your Christless heart, know that you were indeed alienated from God in the biggest ways. Okay? There has never been a larger cultural gap between you and the holy triune God. You understand? That is the biggest cultural gap. He altogether holy, you altogether sinful. He altogether righteous, you altogether unrighteous. He could have stayed on his side. Do you understand? And he sent his very son to come and rescue you. His son who crossed time and space and culture and humanity and put on flesh for you. And yet there are times you can't even Shake your hand across the aisle. Oh, I pray that it's not us, amen? That Christ would go from heaven to earth, cross cultures, and yet we can't even shake hands just with someone who looks different, smells different, grew up differently, listened to different music. Christ calls us to cross those borders. Amen. That's what I love. I could look at Jeremy. He's got a different background than me. I'm from the West Coast. He's from the East Coast. I got four kids. He's got eight. Uh, Portuguese, Polish background, Filipino. Bay Area. Uh, different accent completely. Okay, especially when they first came over. I'm sorry I'm picking on you, but I just love, love it. He's from Boston, right? I remember when he, they used to say, Da Costas, Da Costas, come here, come here. And uh, I said, man, that is great, unique. But I can look at him and I can say, that's my brother in Christ. That's my brother in Christ. There is no enmity between us. Why? Because I've been forgiven. He's been forgiven. And we had a sordid past. You understand? We are without hope. And when he brings a hopeless people together under the same banner of Christ, we are brothers. Amen? Uh, 
it's you guys don't know this, but you got to ask Alvin Jackson. Alvin Jackson is one of the elders of, at CBC. Um, it's an African American. We've got one African American. We've got two cauc- two or three Caucasians, a couple of Filipinos in there, right? But Alvin Jackson used to be a Black Panther. Did you know that? He used to give to the Black Panthers. And Christ melted his heart. And do you know what really reconciles? It's not us fighting and bickering and arguing and running over other people and, and, and saying we want equality and maybe we want revenge on both sides. Sin is on both sides. Please understand that. Sin is on both sides. What really brings together the hardest change? I'm no longer suspicious of this man. I'm no longer, I don't think he has double talk anymore. Why? Because he was a sinner saved by grace just like me. And I am a sinner saved by grace just like him. And we share the same blood in our veins of the royal king. Amen. Amen. You see how powerful this is. This is in the text. How can you exclude others knowing your sad past? You cannot. Secondly, verses 13 to 18 is a big chunk. Okay? How can you exclude others knowing Christ's high price? How can you exclude others knowing Christ's High price. You cannot. You cannot. Notice in verse 13. Jesus' payment. By now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, the term there, far off. It's a common designation Jews used to call Gentiles. In Acts chapter 2, verse 39, you can just kind of jot that down. It says, For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. It is a distinction that says you are far from God. You're not near his promises. The Bible says you were brought near. Colossians uses this term as well in 127. To whom God will to make known, to whom God will to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, notice he says here, how did he do this? How did he do this? Notice he says here, by now in Christ Jesus, you formerly or far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, made groups, made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Notice he says, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, in Christ, by the blood of Christ. We're singing this this morning, by the blood of Christ. What does the blood represent? What does that mean? Are we talking about literally the liquid? We have to have like this. We have to have that literal liquid. No, that's not what it's saying. We're talking about the blood that was spilt, and it is a representation of other things. It's a linguistic device that Paul is using. And the blood represents, number one, the violence by which Christ died. Okay? He, he died a bloody death. He was beaten, and he was whipped. Okay? And secondly, the preciousness of it. Because in the blood was the life. Okay. And so what he did is he brought uh, two groups who were at enmity with one another by the blood. 
We always say that Christ purchased our atonement. That we're forgiven of our sins. But you know what? The blood purchased your forgiveness. Amen. And we celebrate that. The blood purchased your inclusion into the body of Christ. Amen. We say that. But the blood also establishes and lays the groundwork for true cultural, racial, economic reconciliation. No more fighting. No more fighting. See, the real problem of conflict, of hatred, of pride and bitterness and division and fighting and bickering and distrust and gossip and slander is not the other person per se. The real problem is sin and it must be done away with. If we are not clean with this blood, we cannot deal purely and rightly with one another. His blood grants confidence when there is despair. His blood gives hope because it can forgive any sin. His blood grants forgiveness because forgiveness has been received. Now, notice here's Jesus' work. He says here, for he himself is our peace. The word therefore. He himself, the writer is emphasizing that Christ died. He could have just said, he is our peace. But he says, he himself, there can be no mistake. There can be no real peace without Christ. You know the difference. You know, in North Korea and South Korea, did you know technically they're still at war? There's just a ceasefire, okay? A ceasefire is not peace. You understand what I'm saying? Now, you know what I'm saying when you're in the kitchen with your significant other, your wife, your husband, and there's silence in the kitchen, right? And it seems peaceful from the outside, but you could cut the tension with a knife. There is no peace. Why? There has not had this reconciliation. It has not been based on forgiveness there has not been confession and repentance. And the groundwork for all of that, brothers and sisters, is Christ. So this is why when we talk about problems with other people or fights with other people, I always talk about what about you first? Where are you with Christ? How are you honestly seeking his face? Are you doing everything you can to seek his face? Are you confessing? Are you repenting? Are you saying, finally, when... I remember this was just a, a big growth step for me in my faith. I would always say, no, Jeanette, it's not my fault. It's your fault. No, Jeanette, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Honey, you didn't do this. No, 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 no. That's because you didn't do this. See, I was good at the blame-shifting game. I didn't do this because you didn't do this. Until the pastor talked to me and loved me. And he said, the biggest problem in your marriage, Anjanette, is you. And then I, I stopped defending myself. Sometimes it's hard because it's first reaction, right? Right? My first reaction. I want to defend myself. Why? Because I'm prideful. I'm full of pride. I want people to think good of me. Right? My first reaction is going to be pride. But what? What do I have to do? I have to say, you know what? 
you're right. I'm not going to make an excuse for my sin. I did that because I'm a wicked person. And I run to Christ and I get clean and I could ask for forgiveness. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is, this is theology for life. Is he your peace? Or are you just trying to patch things up, run over things? You know, you've hurt, maybe you hurt your wife or you hurt your husband and you just kind of ignore it and it just festers and it festers and it festers. Why? Because you didn't really deal with the problem. You didn't ask for forgiveness. You're just trying to get by. How did this become a marriage counseling class? But it works, it works in reconciliation across the board. It works in reconciliation in your family. Is he your peace? Now, who made both groups into one, he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now, now he's using um, terms that the Jews would know. Okay? In the temple, when there was a temple, there was a separated court of the Gentiles and the temple. The Gentiles could only go in one area. The temple was specifically for Jews. And then within the Jews, there would be the Levites who can go further, and within the Levites would be the high priest who can go further once a year into the Holy of Holies. Okay? But in this area, there was a court for Gentiles, and the reason why God designed it like that is so that the Jews would be a sign to the Gentiles and that they would uh, share the gospel and share the promise of Abraham and share the Messiah's coming with them. But instead, what had happened was they started to use it as a demarcation of you're over there and we're over here and we're not going to cross that line. And in fact, there used to be a sign that read, no Gentile may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. You could not cross this line. It was a picture of separation and disdain. The court of Gentiles was originally to win the Gentiles. Rather, it was a source of separation. And what it says here, it's an amazing text. He, he says, he is our peace who both groups into one who, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the en enmity. So what it says here is he broke down that barrier. He ended the separation of ceremonial law. Ceremonial law was there to cause Israel to look ex extremely different from the world around them. The way they dressed, the way they ate, the holidays they celebrated. And now he says he has broken all of that so that we can share in worship and in glory to Christ. He says that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body. the gospel that creates this supernatural unity it is the gospel that has tied us together it is the gospel that draws people here i believe that with all my heart i believe that with all my heart we don't stress this, this is why can i just say this okay this is why i'm not really big on churches that stress one culture i'm not really big I might offend people here, but I have to tell you, 
This text is informing me. Okay? So I'm not really big on the Filipino churches or Korean churches or African-American churches. Why can't it just be a church? Right? Because when we create those cultural distinctions, we're going against what this text is saying. The text says, let everybody in. Amen? And then you're saying, no. Now, I understand for linguistic restrictions, okay, where someone will not understand. Say, for instance, you have a Spanish church, Spanish-speaking church. But what happens is this. The, the next generation of kids who all speak English, they all speak English. Why are we separating them by race now? Right? And what it does, it hurts the gospel. Let me read you a comment, okay? Okay. Um, let me read you a comment. Where did I want to? In a gospel-revealing community, this is what uh, an author says, Jamie Dunlop and Mark Dever. The, the book is called Compelling Community. It's a great book. You've got to read it. Okay. In gospel-revealing community, many relationships would never exist but for the truth and the power of the gospel, either because of the depth of care for each other or because two people in a relationship have little in common but Christ. Did you catch that? When they are together, when we strive together, even though we are not the same, what it does is it shows the magnitude, the beauty, the glory of Christ that different kinds of people can worship him. This is why in Revelation chapter 5 it says that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will worship him. Apparently God is interested in different kinds of people worshiping him. Now, my brother Tim, I'm going to pick on him a little bit. We were, <laughs> we were rolling, and he was playing some country music. And you know what? I just don't know it, man. I didn't know that song. Right? He was singing it. He probably loves, he loves country music, right? I have no background in that whatsoever. Okay? So in that demographic, there's some people who only like country music that way, right? Then there's other people only like hip-hop. Then there's other people who only like R&B, right? Then there's other people who only like rock or modern rock. And you see, if you notice, if you follow music, they always kind of follow in different cultures. You understand? Either the hip-hop, urban culture, you'll see one culture there. You'll see another culture here. And you'll just see how it's divided, okay? But every once in a while, right, there's a musician who just crosses all of even the classicals, like uh, even Beethoven or Mozart, you see rock bassists, they'll, they'll say, man, did you see how he arranged that bass? And then you'll see opera singers say, man, that was great. And then you'll see people, even in hip-hop, who will look at the classical and say, oh, I like the way it goes here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy that. What happens is there is sometimes a person or an artist that supersedes all cultural backgrounds. Are you following me? And the more backgrounds and the more uh, different types of people that they can reach that attracts them shows what? The artist's skill. You know, some people have different feelings about Michael Jackson. I, let me tell you, Michael Jackson is popular everywhere. I've been, in every, I've been in so many parts of the world. Everybody likes Michael Jackson just because of his mastery of the music and entertainment, right? With Christ, 
the magnitude and the glory that he receives is shown in the diversity of the people who worship him. And that's why in Revelation chapter 5, it has to be every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And that's why when you, as a Christian, sitting there, you have to cross the borders. You have to cross the cultural distinctions. Is he worth it? That's what you have to ask. Is he worth it for you to stay in your comfort zone or to go forth? How can you exclude others knowing Christ's high price? You cannot. Thirdly, how can you exclude others knowing your shared status? And I'm just going to quickly go through this. Your privileges. Under the same rule. Notice Paul says your fellow citizens. Verse 19. Fellow citizens. Not I have citizenship and you don't. We are here together. We share this citizenship. Then he says, and we are of God's household. Paul is stressing that he, a Jew, is in one family with the Gentiles. And he says, we're in one family. Galatians 3 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. One author puts it this way. Our identity no longer stems from our families of origin, our professions, or our interests and ambitions, but the fact that we are in Christ. We are Christians. And so, as an urban American of, a, of the professional class, the author is saying this, as an urban American of the professional class, I have more in common with my working class rural Sudanese brother in Christ than my own non-Christian blood brother. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? I have blood relatives who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I go to Myanmar. I've been to Myanmar. I've been to India. I've been to Brazil. I've been to Philippines. I've been all there. God has blessed me with those trips. And these are some of my relatives. They are my blood relatives, but they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And my first identity is Christian, right? When I go to those countries, immediately we mesh. Immediately. Why? Because we are a community of believers purchased and bought by Christ, and those boundaries are torn away. Let me read another quote. Unity that is so unexpected, so contrary to how our world operates, that even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms sit up and take notice. God's plans are amazing, aren't they? And I can go on, but I just want to finish with this. There was a, um, I like to read good biographies of the Christian faith. I love to read good biographies. Brothers and sisters, if you have young ones, please get your young ones to start reading good heroes. Okay? We have too many lousy sports heroes who lead debauched lives and don't follow Christ at all. Except maybe Steph Curry. Okay? Right? 
But why don't we start teaching them to read and to, and to have good heroes? Well, my, um, I remember when I, w- I just got saved, I read uh, the story of Corey Tinboom. Corey Tinboom was in Holland, and what she used to do, her and her family, they used to hide Jews during World War II because they were Christians, and they said, we have to do this. So they would hide them in the secret room in their, uh, in their watchmaking um, apartment. One person uh, betrayed them, and so they all were thrown in the concentration camps. Her father was killed within two weeks. Uh, she survived for two years, and then uh, lastly, her sister Betty died as well. And, and through that time, she was treated so poorly by one of the guards there. They would beat her. They would take, I mean, they used to live in such squalid conditions. They would live in a, um, in a barracks with uh, fleas and ticks. They barely ate. They were malnourished. But God saved her through that and rescued her. She was a Christian all through that time. She just trusted in God all through that time. Years go by. And about maybe 50 years go by. She's teaching at a seminar. And as she's teaching at a seminar, some old man in the back stands up. And the old man stands up after the seminar, comes to her and says, Fräulein, do you remember me? I was one of the guards at this concentration camp and she could barely look because all the feelings of my dad is dead, my family is dead, my sister is dead. All that, imagine, can you imagine the rush of feeling? An uncontrolled rush, even anger. He comes and he says, I just got saved. I am a Christian. And I've been praying for a time when I could ask forgiveness from one of the prisoners. And he asks for forgiveness from her. And she grants it. What can bring a concentration camp guard and a prisoner to now embrace in forgiveness? What can bring those two groups of people together? What is the basis? Is it going to be my nice demeanor? Is it going to be because I'm just such a nice guy? No. The basis is the cross. And if you are confident in that, brothers and sisters, surely you can cross that bridge. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. We pray that we would be vessels, missionaries, as it were, even in Oceanside, that we would cross through boundaries, that we would love deeply, that we would not exclude, that we would share your gospel, and we would share the love of Christ. We pray, Father, that you would be exalted by the diversity of people who worship you. Oh, bring us different kinds of people, Lord, so that the world will look at us and say, what kind of people are you? And we'll say, Christ did it. Christ receives the glory. He can bring reconciliation amongst the peoples. And I pray, Father, even for this nation, I pray that there would be a turning to you 
an asking of forgiveness, a turning to Christ, a real love and a real reconciliation and a real peace. We know that it could only happen through you. So, Father, we pray, help us to sing and help us even just to celebrate this wonderful Lord's Day that we can look at each other and say, brother and sister in Christ, we are family. We are joint heirs of the King. Help us and remove any boundaries in our hearts, those secret boundaries, God, that stop us from loving one another. In Jesus' name, amen.